1: Learn more at Marines.com.
2: Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
3: Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lee Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are previewing Ohio State-Indiana, but we're not going to get to Indiana until right at the end because they don't deserve anything more than that. I I really think this might be the worst team in the Big Ten. If Indiana and Northwestern played each other, everybody's eyeballs would be filled with blood, but I think Northwestern might win. I don't know. Uh, Ohio State is favored by 39.5 points in this game. The over-under is 58.5. At the end of this pod, we will make our picks— But for now, because we didn't do rapid fire on Thursday, we did that uh, weird fan satisfaction thing. We're going to do rapid fire here, and we're going to start off with this. Again, these are rants that we didn't get to uh, on the Wednesday pod that we're twisting into questions here for the three of us. And it's Gary and the 217. Ohio State's defense is the strength of the team. No one has to wait for the offense to get into gear while the defense creates turnovers and scores. How is the offense going to catch up with the defense? Ohio State will have a very good shot at Michigan because the defense is so good. With this good of a defense, does the offense have to change its approach? Nathan, is that where we are officially? This is a defense-first version of the Buckeyes.
2: By the way, my brother's name is Gary, and he lives in the 217 area code. So I, I don't, I don't think oh, wow. he subscribes to the text messages, but maybe he does. That would be quite a coincidence. Uh, no. Do you occasionally
3: think... refer to your brother as Gary in the 217?
2: No, I don't. I no. don't. Uh, because like, like I grew for up in the, on the On it's... the
3: tag, be like to Gary from the 217.
2: From <laughs> it's like Nathan San...
3: from the 614. Santa
2: yeah. in the whatever the North Pole area code is. Um, Let me look that up while you talk. North Pole area. Code. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I uh, no, I don't think the defense can be called the strength of this team. There were too many games this year where this offense scores touchdowns on you know 6 of the first 7 possessions, 7 of the first 8 possessions, whatever, you know, blowing opponents off the field. And yes, the defense played well in those games too, but as I brought up before, I think we you can't discount the immense pressure that this offense when it's doing that puts on all other offenses to play essentially perfect. So again, as and as good as um as good as we've seen some performances from you know, the jt 2 mlo performance at uh, at Penn State, for instance, he, you know, he's responsible for uh, contributing to those points, but a lot of those points are still coming from an offense that goes out and executes against a really good defense. I, I, I don't think that this is an offense that has to catch up to the defense, but I, it's definitely fair to say that this defense has done what we thought it might need to do in order for the offense to maximize what it could be this year, for the team to maximize what it could be, which is... I mean, it's exceeded that I think it's exceeded what 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 we expected it to do or what we thought it needed to do that it needed to at least we just thought it needed to stabilize, really. And instead, it has been one of the better defenses in the country.
1: So the only teams to hold Ohio State under 40 points this year, one of them because they lost their best player two minutes into the game, basically, and that's Notre Dame and the other one, it was it was a hurricane outside, basically. That's the only two times this offense has not scored at least 40 points. The the run game, that's a conversation as is. But as we've talked about for most of the year, the passing game isn't going to run into many days when it's going to be windy like that. And they've clearly moved past the, oh, no, Jackson Smith the Jigba is not playing. What are we going to do mode? And so now it's eventually the passing game is going to click and they're going to score four or five touchdowns every single game at this point, unless like the weather permits them from doing that.
3: SC in the 907 is what we have to be on the lookout for, by the way. The town of North Pole, Alaska is in the 907. So if we ever get something from SC in the 907, it's probably because we're on the naughty list. Mm. Uh, so I do think um, – how do I say this? So I coming into the season, right, I was very interested in – the best skill players that Ohio State would face this year. And I thought Michael Mayer and Braylon Allen were those two guys, the Notre Dame tight end and the Wisconsin running back. I thought they had a great plan for Michael Mayer in that opener. Jim Knowles talked about it. I I just thought they had a great plan and they with, you know, linebacker under safety over, they, they changed the guys who were on him. I thought that first game test of like, all right, defense, let's see what you can do with a quarterback starting his first game, right? With some other, with a not great explosive outside guys, Notre Dame certainly had issues, but I thought that was a great defensive effort for what Notre Dame did well. And then Braylon Allen, like, Broke off that 75-yard touchdown run against the twos late, but, like, didn't kill him, right? And I, I still think Blaylon is great, but that was also a Wisconsin team on the precipice of, of firing its head coach. So my point is this. I think the defense's toughest tests were probably in the first half of the year, and, like, the Ohio State defense's toughest test, because Michigan State, you know, Rutgers not doing anything. Michigan State not really going to do anything. Iowa stinks, Penn State has some guys, right? But they also, you know, Penn State hit a couple things. Parker Washington had a good day. Northwestern, nothing. So the defense's toughest test for early's. The offensive's Ohio State's offense has been tested more lately because I do think last three games Iowa's a good defense, Penn State's a good defense, Northwestern's in a hurricane. So I think we're at a moment where we are like at the low ebb of people's feelings about the offense because they've just played good defensive teams and they played a goofy win game. And we're kind of at a high ebb of the defense because they haven't faced like a real person who really knows how to play offense, maybe outside of Parker Washington since Braylon Allen six weeks ago. And so I understand maybe why people are feeling this way, but I think we're all kind of saying no, not there yet. Because Nathan, as a result of who they have played, the defense, there's no question the defense is better. That was the number one question. The defense, Ohio State's defense, had to be better this year. That is no longer a question. That's a for sure. And the But the whole offseason discussion was how much better. Top 25, top 20, top 15, top 10, top 5, number 1, whatever. I still, Nathan, do have some question about how much better, which is not that based on Ohio State, it's just based on the people they play. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that this defense will shut down the Michigan run game the way it needs to be shut down. I'm not a hundred percent sure what it'll do if it makes the playoff against people who can throw it better than anybody they've faced so far. Whereas I do believe. These guys can pretty much throw it on anybody to a pretty high level. Offensively, I, I believe in the Ohio State passing game. And, you know, the run game this thing we've only talked about 4,000 times. But but I, I still have some res- – I'm holding something in reserve, Nathan, about the defense. Should we be doing that or is that not fair that these guys are good? Why are we doing that?
2: Well, I would just be careful the language that you use because I think in the Michigan game and if they were to win that, then in any playoff game, so not the next two games not the Big Ten Championship game. But in those other circumstances, well, and, and by the way, Chase Brown, Illinois, Chase Brown,
3: Illinois, the way they do the things they do, mm-hmm. Illinois's got a real dude. Very so, similar. not 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 uh, to man, the I'll Michigan see. extent, their offensive line's not a good Chase Brown's one of the best backs in the country. But I, I, sorry,
2: continue. I have great respect for Chase Brown. I don't have great respect for the Illinois offense top to bottom necessarily. Yeah. And well, yeah. but the point I was getting to was don't don't in those other matchups, Michigan playoffs. If you're expecting Ohio State to shut down the opponent in order for them to win, that's a problem. You're not going to shut down those teams. You're not going to shut down Michigan, I don't think. I don't think you're going to shut down Georgia, certainly not Tennessee, um, some of these other teams that are out there. You're not shutting them down. But I think that's okay because I think last year, again, just took the progress from a year ago, you had questions as to whether that defense could – give the offense a chance at times like it, you know, they weren't necessarily giving up, you know, 60 points a game, but that they would be that they would not be able to get out of the way and let the offense go out and win the game. And this year, I think even if the off the defense um, has some vulnerabilities, gives up some big plays, I think you also would expect them to give the ball back to the offense pretty regularly. That's why I, 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 I'm still so, um, Why I still think that there should be so much optimism about this team being potentially the national champion just because of what this defense has has meant. I don't know. I mean, is this offense better than the offense was a year ago? Like, is it a better offense? But I think it's a better team without question because of what this defense is. Yes, I agree. Yeah, no, if we're going like, yeah.
3: Compared to last year, I, I I agree with your point. Like, if we still lined up, which side of the ball is better for Ohio State? I would still pick the offense, which is I I think we all would do that. But their defense is good enough to win, which is the whole point. Are, is is their defense good enough for them to win a national title? I, I don't. Yes. I think that question yeah. has been answered, Stephen. Like right, like I, yeah. I, it's not going to hold them back.
1: Last year, we spent a lot of time, especially around this point of the year, going can the defense just get out of the offense's way? And yeah. I don't think that's where we are at this point. We are, yes, this defense is good enough for a house to win a national championship. And it's not just because it's going to get out of the offense's way. As a matter of fact, it helps the offense when the offense does kind of hit a bump in the road, whether that is the Penn State game where JT's doing... Immaculate things, and uh, long enough for the offense to finally start clicking. The week before that, it's Zach Harrison doing elite level things, long enough for the uh, the offense to start clicking. That never happened against Northwestern because of the weather, but let's just say against Indiana, the offense looks funky, just because it looks funky for a quarter and a half. I have no. I have zero worry that the defense isn't going to be able to give this offense multiple chances to finally figure it out. Yeah. I couldn't say that last year.
3: Yeah. Okay. Let's lean into you just mentioned JT. This this was a thing that was asked about on Tuesday with Ryan Day. We, we have not talked about it. From the 513, stop subbing out JT, Tuimolo out, and Zach Harrison. I don't care if you have a reason. They need to play most or all of the fourth quarter, period, and also along those same lines from the 5 1 3, Larry Johnson is a stud recruiter and a goat on the defensive line. But if he's going to consistently play third stringers in critical series, then why are we recruiting five stars anyway? Uh, Julian Fleming looks bigger than JJB, but we are playing him on rundowns to set an edge instead of Zach or JT. I know he likes to rotate guys, but if Ty Hamilton and Jeron Cage played four times the amount of snaps as Mike Hall, um, and combined Cage and Ty Hamilton only had two tackles. That's just not acceptable when you have difference makers on the bench. So, again, this is something uh, that that people are asking about and wondering about. It, it did not register with me, Stephen. Did it register with you? And I do have some snap count things that we'll talk about. Did you watch the game against Northwestern and think they have the wrong defensive lineman in the game at critical points?
1: Yes. Larry Johnson says he likes to rotate because he wants guys fresh in the fourth quarter, and that's fine, but the fresh guys didn't have to play in the fourth quarter. There was one time specifically, I remember from the Northwestern game, where uh, Northwestern's pinned back deep into their own territory. It was it was before the third and one stop and then the fourth and one stop, but I, I believe it was on the same drive. And to start the drive off... So it's, it's the first
3: drive of the third quarter.
1: Right. Yeah. This first drive of the. Fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was
3: that drive that that you're talking about. Northwestern got near midfield. They ran Hull on first down, got nine yards. They had second and yep. one, third and one, fourth and one and did not get it.
1: Yep. And to start that series off, it's Javante Jean Baptiste and Jack Sawyer in the game. And in that situation, that's kind of a critical moment. You've got them pin back deep. This is an opportunity for your playmakers to go make a play. And you have neither one of your two best playmakers on the edge in the game at that point. So the overall snap difference is, is, I mean, Zach Harrison played 53 snaps last week. JT played 52 in the week before, 55, while Zach played 62. So the overall game, they're playing more. But in those moments, when you want the best two guys on the field, you've got Javante, Jean Baptiste, and Jack Sawyer out there. And that just shouldn't be the case. While in the interior, I mean, Ryan Day kind of alluded to some of this. Is Mike Hall still dealing with the injury the injury he was dealing with the early in the season, so he's t- kind of on a pitch count. But I mean, he's been on a pitch count now for what three weeks, and he keeps doing stuff in that limited amount of time. So at this point, if that guy can have that level of impact, and well, he had seven snaps that one week and two sacks, so give him his normal amount of food and see what how much he can eat then.
3: All right, so let's talk about the end, the ends first.
1: Mm.
3: So you're saying like. You're saying a critical point in the game. It's it's the first drive of the third quarter. Like that's the point where it's like how dare they not have the best it's guys not, in the game like at a I, I, critical
1: it's, it, point. It, it's less about like the time of the game and more about the the position of the field that they're on. If you're inside your if an offense is inside their own 10-yard line, that's a chance for you to make something happen. And to this point, Jack's, Jack's learning a new position. I get that. So maybe we'll give him some reprieve there. But Javante Jean-Baptiste hasn't proven to be a guy that in those situations, that down in distance, that position on the field, he can make a play. That's going to drastically impact this game. JT and Zach have. They spent two weeks showing you they can no, I do know, that. No, I know,
3: I know. We're not talking about who's better. We all know who's better. I'm just, like, questioning the idea of, like, that the first drive of the third quarter is like the critical time. Cause it's like, well, what if you need them in the middle of the fourth quarter? Like, so here's the thing I, I I'm, I'm a little befuddled by this conversation because we were having this conversation earlier in the year when it felt like guys actually weren't playing that much, but they are now officially leaning on JT and Zach. So let me give you this. This is percent of snaps played. And I took out Arkansas, Toledo, and Rutgers because who cares? So this is the other six games. Percent of snaps played. Notre Dame, this will start with JT. Notre Dame, 66%. Wisconsin, 37%. Michigan State, 44%. Iowa, 45%. Penn State, 68%. Northwestern, 68%. So he went from playing... Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa, JT wasn't on even the field even half the time. Now he's on the field 70% of the time the last two games. Zach Harrison, Notre Dame, 36% of snaps. Wisconsin, 42% of snaps. Michigan State, 48% of snaps. Iowa, 32% of snaps. Penn State, 77% of snaps. When they had 81 defensive snaps, Zach Harrison played 62 of 81 snaps against Penn State. Northwestern, 69% of snaps. So I think we have officially established, A, JT and Zach are the two best edge guys. Mm -hmm. And then B, the last two weeks, those two guys are playing 70% of the snaps at edge. So Nathan, what's the deal? Why is this an issue?
2: I'm with you. I don't know that it is. I I, I don't. I, I Again, if, if you want them on the field in the fourth quarter and you recognize that they do have to play something less than 100% to be at their best in the fourth quarter, then that means they play less earlier in the game.
1: I would say, for me, my only argument is I don't think – there should ever be situations where both are off the field at the same time. I, that's well, the only argument I would ever make about this situation. Other than that, yeah, the, the, the overall snaps show you that they're playing more than anybody else. But I don't think there should be situations where you look out there and it's neither Jack or Zach.
3: But wh- why is that? Because sometimes you put in the twos. Why? Why I mean, would that
1: be? Do both of the twos need to be in there at the same time at this point?
3: So, I mean, the one thing that is a
1: little okay. Odd, okay here's the, I'll, I'll use this example: in 2018, had Nick Bosa not gotten hurt, how many times in a game that was still in in the balance would you have ever seen Chase Young and Nick Bosa both not on the field at the same time?
3: I don't know. I also think the drop off. We're also. I don't. I mean, like, yeah, that defense was way really worse. This is really a JJB conversation. Yeah, like Jack's isn't Jack pretty good? We don't think Jack's good anymore. Jack's pretty good. No, I don't think he's, like he's not good. I board.
1: just, I just don't. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. And it's not about the overall defense. We're just talking about the edge rushers right now. It's not. I, I don't, it's not that I don't think Jack's good. It's just JT is clearly all American level at this point, and Zach Harrison has taken that jump. I don't know. He's not necessarily all. I, I don't think Jack Sawyer has yet reached like the all Big Ten level yet. And it's fine because Zach Harrison is there, and JT's like all American level. He's not there yet, and some of that is because he's spending some of his time learning a new position.
3: The the, the only thing that's a little odd to me is like that JJB and Jack are the two Jacks. And so, like that's when there's like a jack when they're asking a jack to be in the game. Well, then you've got to have either JT or Zach out because neither of them plays that position. If you're really right. only having one defensive end in, but they have been playing these two defensive ends together a lot. I just I don't I, I, maybe there's a play that I'm missing. I I, I don't know And because I know when Austin and Austin Moore was asking about it. I mean, and I appreciate when people dig in on stuff. I think he was asking about like snaps in the fourth quarter, but then maybe it's. I mean, maybe it's that they're playing these guys. I, I just don't know that playing them more than 70% of the snaps is really the conversation. Like, why aren't they playing more than 70% of the snaps in games eight and nine? It's like, I don't know, because you think you're playing a 15-game season? And you think it's only going to get tougher from here? So I think, like, early on, it's like, why did they only play 42 and 37% of the snaps against Wisconsin? That seems reasonable right? Against Wisconsin, JT had the fewest snaps of those edge guys, and they're not playing anybody else. It's a four-man rotation at this point. Caden Curry and Tyler Friday and everybody else, it's whatever. So, I just, I think I I must be missing something here because, to me, it's fine and, like, if you're not going to play them 100% of the snaps, and I don't think you should, then they've got to be out sometime, and if the game's close, it feels like every snap's important. So, the Mike Hall thing, I'm more on board with because... He really is just not playing that much right now. Like, that is just, like, not in dispute. When you look at the snaps uh, inside from Northwestern, Teron Vincent played 54 snaps. Ty Hamilton played 36. Tyleek Williams played 22. Mike Hall played 18. And Jeron Cage played 12. Nathan, I do think, like, he had a... Mike Hall had a really bad tackling grade in that game, whatever that means. I do think, like, clearly Mike Hall is disruptive, the most dis- disruptive interior guy as a pass rusher. I think the idea that he's working back and they're trying to keep him on a pitch count is certainly part of this. I also wonder sometimes, Nathan, if, like, they, they have some, not questions about Mike Hall as a run defender, but that they don't think he's their best option against the run on first and second down. And not that he's only a third down player, but that's where they get, you know, more bang for the buck with
2: him. Yeah, I think that is a factor there, and, and and Jim Knowles, I can't remember if it was Knowles or Day that spoke to it must have been Day, kind of admitted that, that it was a combination of both things, that yes, he's got this thing that they're trying to protect, so they limit his snaps, and you got the conditions that they were playing in Saturday on top of that, that probably further played into that, but that they also don't think that if it's, it becomes just a pure run-stopping game... Which it was most snaps of that game, then I I think that was another factor as to why he was not on the field. I also thought though that because then Jim Knowles was asked later about the relationship between him and Larry Johnson and who makes that decision and how it works. And you know Jim Knowles obviously said, "Hey, he's Larry Johnson. I'm not going to stand up here and question Larry Johnson." But I did sort of wonder if because I had asked him, you know, "Hey, what did did Northwestern have to change a bunch of things?" Or did did Northwestern change a bunch of things? was it not exactly what you're expecting? and he said yes that they what they saw was not exactly what they had planned for. and I just wonder if by calling things to try to match up to that, if they somehow got themselves sometimes got themselves into some awkward personnel pairings that wouldn't have happened in a normal game.
1: My only argument against the the run stopping thing is the Penn State game, if you actually look at the snap breakdown, is the only game where he was clearly only out there with pass rush in mind. And that was he played 32 snaps against Penn State. 24 of them were against in pass rush situations. And eight eight of them were in run defense situations. Other than that, Notre Dame, it was 15 and 15. Arkansas State, 12 and 16, Wisconsin, 13 14. With Rutgers, it was actually more run defense than pass rush, 24 to 16. And then Michigan State, we know that situation. Iowa, 10 15. It, he's out there. He's playing. One, two, three, it doesn't matter what down it is. I, I, gr- granted, he's clearly proven to be their best pass rusher from the interior standpoint, but I don't think it's he's their best pass rusher on the interior, but also not a good run stopper.
2: But I think you can't read it past the Michigan State game. I think this past game was a version of the Michigan State game where they were trying to protect him. Yeah, protect so that, that, that game,
1: 18, eight, 18 snaps, 11 of them against the run, seven of, of them against the pass. Because they're like, well, I don't pass. Yeah, because there was. No, but I don't think it's. Nec- I don't think it's as extreme as the Talik Williams situation, where it's. Oh, he's a really good passer. So what rusher, do you think it you is? Really... You think
3: it's pitch count mostly?
1: I think it's mostly just pitch count. And when we get to it, I, I was if he's not on a pitch count against Michigan, Michigan, I was to sit back that him and Teron Vincent are just out there, and they're gonna and it's gonna look very similar to the edge rusher situation where it's. Jack and JT, pl- no, not Jack. Zach and JT are getting the bulk of the snaps, even if you're rotating other guys in. It'll be the same on the interior.
3: I thought Teron Vincent played like a champ against Northwestern. I think Jim Knowles thought saying that he, yeah. and Jim Knowles was very complimentary of, of Teron Vincent. And I think it might be sometimes this happens, and I'm not saying, I, I'm not lumping my call in the small sample size basket that I was. Quickly put Tyreek Williams in last year. I do think sometimes when guys make splash plays on the outside, we're like, splash plays, play the splash play guy. And the coaches are like, okay, great. But also, let me show you like the 60 snaps where Teron Vincent up two guys every down. And that my call or anybody else maybe doesn't do that as well. And like we're trying to do things here and like we do have moments where we need splash plays on the interior. But we also have moments where we, we need to play Teron Vincent and Ty Hamilton because that's what we need. And there's maybe a thing that you guys don't realize that they do a little bit better than my call. I would like more my call. I think we all would like more my call. 18 seems drastically low. Right. In in a world where there were 77 snaps on defense, 18 seems like what's up. And so then to me, it must be pitch count because nothing else makes Mm -hmm. sense. So but, you know, again. What's the goal at this point? My call for Michigan is the goal, right? That's the goal. So like whatever all the rest of this is, my call for Michigan is the goal. So. um. I, I like it. I like it when people dig in. So I, I enjoyed that line of questioning. I just was sort of curious as to what what people were seeing out there. From the 614, real quick, it's funny how this podcast has followed me through so many various stages of life, both good and bad. Just wanted to thank you guys for always being a welcome distraction in the tougher moments of our lives. You guys help keep all of us sane. So just wanted to give you the shout out you deserve. That's very nice. Thank you for saying that. And then we always like to do this when we have these moments, especially on the preview pod from the 540. This isn't much of a rant, but my name is Silas and I'm from Virginia. I listen to this podcast on my way to work every morning. I'm an electrician. And they are early mornings, but you all get me through the week without a doubt. And I appreciate the podcast more than anything. My girlfriend and I are huge Buckeye fans, and we will be attending our first game this weekend against Indiana. If you have any suggestions of what to do while we are up in Columbus, let me know. Go Buckeyes. So Silas and uh, your girlfriend, I hope you have an awesome time. The weather, I think it's, it's supposed to be cold, maybe Maybe a little rain or snow, it sounds like possible. A little wind. We'll talk about that more with our preview picks. But again, we always, I think, sort of suggest skull session before the game, like two and a half, two hours before the game. Make sure you're over there and duck in for that. Wherever your seats are, try to go down in the concourse, get a picture right by the field, watch warm-ups, get as close to the players as you can. Make sure you do a lap outside the stadium before the game. Walk all the way around it, soak that in, go to the rotunda, and then go to Buckeye Grove and check out the trees there. There are living things for the legends of Ohio State players. And Columbus is a great city. I always send people to the zoo. If you're still there on Sunday, go to the zoo if it's nice. Um, But, you know, drive around Columbus. So, uh, but the but the game day atmosphere soaking the entire thing in Rolling Stones halftime show, the band put out. Rolling Stones halftime show. Start me up. Start me up. I will never stop. Um, back in black. That was like such
2: black. a radio hit. I know. Wait, I, I used to – Back in that. black? That's not the Rolling I, Stones.
3: Not back in black. Uh, Paint it black. Paint <laughs> okay. it black. That was it. Nathan, for the last two podcasts – is just looking down at his phone the entire podcast. And I said like an AC/DC song instead of a Rolling Stone song. And his head snapped up so fast I thought I was going to break his neck. It's like Nathan is like, can this podcast please be over? My head is so stuffed up. Stephen also is now sick, by the way. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. I don't know the whole beat is sick, but I can hear you guys. Um, I, know I, just I, happened <laughs> I
2: got sick and then Stephen got sick.
3: Yeah, that's exactly that's, that, how it that happened. Totally. I didn't know if I didn't know if there was a different patient zero on the beach, uh, on the beat, on the beat potentially. Though I think it was um, me
2: this week. We were actually having a conversation on Tuesday after practice, and I was like, "Yeah, like," I, or after after interviews, and I was like, "Yeah, and like." My wife even got COVID at one point, and I didn't test positive. And everybody else was talking about how they had COVID, and like by the end of Tuesday night, I was taking a COVID test because I was pretty sure I had it. I'm like standing in my living room, just like shivering with chills and coughing, and it was horrible. But I did not test positive.
1: Oh well, that's this pod—I uh, think well, we've been hopefully- doing this pod for about twenty minutes, and this is the longest I've gone without sneezing all day. So,
3: let's yeah, keep up well, that's that trend. Good. Well, thank you for holding in your sneezes, Buckeye. Talk. I'm trying. Let's do this one real quick on the drops. Paul here in the 3 5 other than the obvious play calling and the offensive logging struggles, I want to talk about the receiver drop. They absolutely killed us against Northwestern. CJ being the rhythm thrower that he is, he could never get started, partially because of that issue. I get that wind is a big factor, but the ball bouncing off your chest and slipping right through your hand is not an excuse for our guys. I hate that Coach Day had to dig deep into his bag of tricks with the CJ Reed options uh, when he could have been better used Using those read options in a, against a more difficult opponent. So, like, I did think they stood out again. Like, looking at PFF, I they only have them for like five drops in the game total, which which seems. Oh, it was less than. Um, nice. Load. It was. Yeah. Uh, they have them that for three, three. drops. They have three. They have two for
1: Stover and one for a Mecca, which is and none okay. for
3: Julian Fleming, which which I thought in the moment I thought there might have been about two or three for Julian Fleming. So um, the one to Mecca, he regretted, it looked like it could have been a touchdown. I think a guy did get his hand on it. Kade definitely had one that hit him right in the hands. You know, I talked a Mecca after the game was talking about eye control. We talked about that on the post game pod, Steven, generally I don't, I don't, I like, I actually think it's the opposite way. I think you watch enough games in college football and you watch Ohio State opponents. There are times when a third and seven throw for a first down hits a guy in the chest and he just drops it. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that is like a turnover. That is a drive killer. It can even happen on second and 10. You know, like it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. third down where you think we did everything right to get six or nine or 12 yards here. And then the guy who had the ball right on his mitts just dropped it and I don't feel like Ohio State does that very much so it is a killer for a passing offense I thought they could have done a better job holding on to the ball Saturday but I think we all know what was up so of all the things like does it does it linger is it a thing I don't think this is a thing with this receiving core at all I actually think it's the opposite they keep this offense flowing because they do it so they drop it so little.
1: Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Ohio State makes getting a first down look like the easiest thing in the world. They can pick up 10 yards with a snap of a finger. And Marvin was kind of talking about some of this on Wednesday night when we were talking to players and how regardless of whether you were catching a ball that was being thrown with the wind or against the wind, throwing it with the wind actually made it harder because you're already dealing with whatever velocity C.J. Stroud throws the ball with. Now you times 10 that because you're dealing with the wind. Or if he's throwing into the wind, it might just die midair. So it throws off the timing and all. So they had some really he had some really good reasons for why some of those drops happened. Ameka's Me- had some weird ones these last couple of weeks. Um, whether it was the muff punt against Rutgers or the dropped one against Northwest or even the Penn State where he dropped the slant pass, he's had some weird ones lately. But even then, they happen so rarely that it, you just more chalk it up to. Weird moment, move on. You don't expect it to be a thing, especially because the wind's not going to be 40 miles per hour this week.
2: And it, it wasn't just wind, it was also rain. Like I I just, I would, going with you, Doug, I would put much more credence in the five drops that they had through eight games than however many drops they had in the ninth game because the ninth game is just so weird. Yeah.
3: Okay, let's talk about CJ running it a little bit because CJ did talk about this, right? This is Dale from Ann Arbor. Ohio State fan, not Michigan's fan. He's making that clear. Is Ryan Day holding C.J.'s running, running, is he holding it back until they really need it, like against Michigan, because they needed it this week, but they haven't needed it all year. So is, is, uh, is it a game that Day is playing? Is C.J. afraid to run because of what he saw happen to Justin two years ago? So, again, this is the ongoing will C.J. run it debate that I think we had kind of put to bed. And then 40-mile-per-hour wins, Nathan, brought it back to light. And I did think it was interesting on Tuesday, Ryan Day said, you know what, of all the things, like if we had to do it over again, we probably would have called some QB runs sooner in that game. Um, again, in terrible conditions. But what do we think? I know you guys have written about this. We've talked about this. What did CJ say about it? What What is to be learned or gained of what we think the QB run game might be in
2: the future? Well, I the thing I wanted to ask CJ that I didn't really get to ask him after the game. So I asked him after practice on Wednesday was just, because I think because that game is so weird, anything that happened in that game offensively, there's a little bit of a grain of salt situation, except maybe I think the offensive line, the running game performance, but like, as far as like whether he's going to run the ball more, it's almost like, does it matter? Is it, was it a novelty or can it actually help this offense in some way? And more to the point, Does it help this offense, even if he doesn't actually run that much anymore? I said this after the game. Like, Is it just putting the threat of it on film and making teams respect it more? Because the way he talked about it after the game was like he knew, well, nobody in the world expects me to ever run the ball. And that's why even some of those opportunities were open for him. So now if teams are respecting him more does it change the way they defend him a little bit, even if it's just one player in the positioning and where they stand, all that stuff. And he seemed to think that that's possible, but we won't know until we see how teams defend him the next time this comes up.
1: I think what Saturday watching the game, talking to people after the game and then Wednesday night and Tuesday interviews taught me is CJ Stroud is not the reason why CJ Stroud isn't running. Ryan Day is the reason why C.J. Stroud isn't running. But, and I, I'm gonna, c C.J.
3: is part of the reason because he's not good at it. That's part of the reason. It's not because he's afraid, he's not, but he's not He's not good at it.
1: He's Yeah, he's average at best. At, he's great. He's a strider. Yeah. So once you get him out in open field, he can do some stuff. But no, he's not making people miss the way Justin was. But the reason why I say it's it's less about the skill set and more about Ryan Day not willing to let C.J. run more than C.J. not being willing to run is I do think part of what the question was asked is true. Justin Fields got hurt two years in a row using his legs. And as a matter of fact, since Day has showed up, only one of his quarterbacks has not had to deal with a significant injury at some point in the year. JT Barrett got hurt late in the season. Now, some of that is thanks to some TV cameras. But the point is, J.T. that's not the first time JT Barrett got hurt in his career. Dwayne stayed healthy, but Dwayne also was a stick. Justin got hurt against Penn state in 2019 and it impacted the entire team and what they could do the rest of the year. Imagine a completely healthy Justin Fields against Clemson and then against Clemson the next year. Well, first in the big 10 championship the next year, he injures his thumb. So that's a thing. And then he basically breaks his ribs in the, in the sugar bowl. So that's a thing now. And then CJ Stroud is more his shoulder. Cause he did whatever he did in practice, but so far knock on some wood. This is the healthiest a quarterback has been at this point in the season for Ryan day, since he's been here. And I do think that does stick into the back of his head a little bit in the way he talks about it sometimes. And he says they talk to recruits. We're not going to run you here. We're not going to put you in situations where you can get hurt. And maybe that's an over paranoia by him, but it's also kind of proof in the pudding of what he's had to deal with since he showed up here. Well, but it's kind of weird because I
3: think that's all very real. And but you also you can get hurt in the pocket. And and like you look yeah. at NFL
2: injuries and stuff. And there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. There. Go ahead, Nick. Well, yes, yes. I mean, C.J. Stroud didn't get hurt because he was running the ball. And Justin Fields didn't run the ball less in important games because he did keep getting hurt running the ball. So I, I don't know. I think it, it is more the fact that every time you run... It's it's an extension of, like, why, why don't they throw to the tight ends more? Well, because then you're not throwing to a receiver. And it's almost like, why don't you run with C.J. Stroud more um, because it takes away something else you're doing with the offense. I just think it's always been a if you just need to sprinkle it in a little bit more, it doesn't have to become. And I saw a text that we got this week from someone saying, um, listen, we're not asking him to be Mike Vick. Like, that's not the point here. It's just like, does he run enough that people respect it? Does he run enough that defenses can't just completely write it off the table from the beginning? I used to cover a, a basketball program where the coach was just like, we do not play zone. We will never play zone. He was like anti zone. He would like fly, a. A plane dragging a banner over the stadium saying down with zone. Like he just hated the idea of zone defense. But my point always was, like, well, why tell people that up front? Like, why not at least, like, throw it, sprinkle it in for a few possessions every year so teams have to account for it? And I think that's what they needed to do more with CJ Stroud all along. And last week was an example of it. Now, whether teams take it seriously, whether it's something that they apply going forward. I don't know, because they may also just dismiss it as being, well, that's what he had to do in this one game, played in a wind tunnel, but now that he's any other game played in normal conditions, they may just go back to just not expecting C.J. Stroud to run the ball at all.
1: For the record, you, I agree with that basketball coach. Man up. Guard your player.
3: <laughs> ah, we just learned up. We learned something about Stephen Means. He's anti-zone. Who knew?
2: I
1: hate zone so much.
2: I, I'm not saying... But, uh, but, you understand, I wasn't shoot. But, but do you see the premise no, of I get. Yeah,
1: yeah at, listen... For, We'll make, from a game planning yeah, standpoint, right. you are right. correct, Nathan. It's just I wasn't a shooter; I was a drive first guy, and zone is annoying when you're that type of basketball.
3: Oh, player. so though but the reason you don't want people to play zone is because it's effective. So, so <laughs> yes. like, great strategy. <laughs> yes. You're like man up because I can. If you're in man, I can drive by a guy. If I'm in, yes. if you're in zone, I can't get to the basket. <laughs> so you're stopping. I call, me. Playing,
1: I call zone playing scared.
2: Yeah, I was always like, oh, well, I call zone. Playing effective <laughs> against Steven Beans. <Ines. laughs> people, people who decry zone defenses, I'm like, yeah, okay, well, Jim Beheim just won like 5,000 games he playing did. zone defense <laughs> his <He> entire <laughs> career. Like, but did. it's clearly a the, the flawed concept. This has we're going to have like rails. a beat basketball
3: game. It's going to be like me and Tony Gerdeman and Bill Landis, and we're going to be like, we're going to play zone. And Steven's going to be like, nope, zone is outlawed. One of the three <laughs> yep. of you has to guard me. It's like, yep. oh, cool. Enjoy all your layups. Uh, so here's. Here's the thing is that I – and we, I've said this before. I think the only reason the CJ run stuff worked is because nobody thought he was going to run because he hasn't run. And the minute you respect it a little bit, you're going to tackle him. So right. I guess you get something out. But like if you if you run zone read and the edge guy stays home a little bit, which opens things up for the back, which is good. But if there's a fourth and one where, where CJ is making a read and he decides to keep it and get around the edge, if the edge guy stays home at all – I think CJ is going to get tackled on fourth and one and not get the first down. So congratulations on being Mm. a threat. Right. I mean, that's, well, you know, now he also, that's different. Scrambling and called run game is different. The scrambles, right. If it's there and they drop eight, I think that's the most effective thing drop eight. Nobody's there. Or you, if you're playing man and everybody turns their back and runs with the guy, any quarterback, if you can go get it there, but also if it's third and 11 and you run for eight yards, I'm not that impressed. Right. That's like they're okay with that. And he had a play like that. Now, I think it set up he had a play like that against Penn State. I think it set up a fourth down. They converted. But But also, if you have a third and long and the person running the ball does not get the first down, that's a win for the defense. So and and again, so uh, that's the part of it that that the threat. But as soon as the threat is enough of a threat for the defense to care about it, now it's not going to work anymore. And to, Cause he doesn't run past people and he doesn't run through people and he doesn't run around people. And I don't want him to do any of that because I want him to throw over mm-hmm. and around and through people
2: and to complete that thought. I had asked him after the game about the fourth and one that ended up going for a 16 yard run mm-hmm. and how that play developed. And he talked about the nickel safety crashing in and um, leaving him kind of wide open there. When I asked him about it again, yesterday, Wednesday, and he said, well, that was true, but actually, number nine, the other safety, that was the guy who didn't do his job. The nickel was supposed to do what he did. He's supposed to take out the running back. Number nine was looking in the backfield the whole time, though, and wasn't doing, was not accounting for Stroud. Now, I think... He might have still been able to get one yard there, but I don't think he gets 16 and I'm almost sure he takes contact or he has to do something elusive to avoid contact there. Right. And both of those are getting you into a situation where you're exposing him. So that's the kind of, that's the math that Ryan day has been doing on this. I think to get back to what Steven was saying before that, how much I think it was worth exposing Justin Fields to that contact because he was I mean, we're seeing it right now in the against the best athletes in the world. They
1: even then they though, can't like, he can't tackle like,
2: Yeah. But I mean he he so letting him run had the the risk reward was always still in your favor, I think. Even as even even in 2019, even as precarious as the backup quarterback situation was, if you could have Justin Fields break off a 60 some yard round like he did against Florida Atlantic to start his career or whatever, like you're gonna let him do it? It's this risk
1: reward is not the same as CJ Stroud. But even with that, I it, yep. it took I'm time because Doug, you're asking questions of like. Hey man, isn't it kind of worth it? Because he's making plays out there. It took time for Ryan Day to get to the point to oh, where he was sure. in 2020, where it was like, oh yeah, sometimes you're just gonna live with it because Justin's gonna do that. So even that's still that mindset showing up, which is um, Nathan just brought it up. Look at what Justin's doing with the Bears. He, I don't think he ever did anything to that extreme with Ohio State outside of that run against Florida Atlantic.
3: And and I do think that's where your your philosophy, Stephen, that you articulated early about Ryan Day is saying, we're not going to put you in harm's way. We're going to let you come yeah. here, develop as a thrower, get to the NFL. There was definitely a text this week that was like, man, why didn't Ryan Day let Justin run more? And that yeah. point is like, yeah, maybe if you would have, I don't know. I don't think that means you're going to beat Bama in the national title game. So they got an awfully long way without Justin running that much. But it's obvious. Everybody listening to this knows that the conversation is it's just a complete Completely different conversation. And I think what you said, Nathan, about risk reward, there's just not as much reward here. All right, quick break. We've got a long time. We're going to do a couple more things and then we'll eventually get to our picks. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk.
0: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle.
3: All right, a couple more things here from the 3-1-2. It's Mike in Wheaton, Illinois. College football is a season. It sometimes comes down to one game, as it will most likely this year against Michigan. But we evaluate a team over the whole season. People who watched the game against Northwestern were not impressed. But Georgia looked worth, worse with no excuses against Missouri. And Michigan was no great shakes against uh, Maryland. Michigan also struggled with Rutgers for the first half last week. Bottom line, the arc of the season is important, and when you peak is important. But one clunker that you win by fourteen in a typhoon is not indicative of the season. They will be fired up to play Michigan, and that will be the test. Everything before that is practice. It's a nice, uh, it was a nice uh, expression of a, you know, reminder there. A Kyle McCord question, Nathan, I feel like we've gotten away from this because it's all been run game, run game, run game. There was a point when the offense was clicking and it was like, hey, what's the thing that we can complain about the most? Is it the backup quarterbacks not getting any snaps from the 419 from a longtime listener? But a new happy texter. Welcome. Personally, if Kyle McCord doesn't get any meaningful snaps by the end of the year, I will riot. I cannot go into next year feeling like Kyle could crack under pressure at any time, as it seems he may be the starter in 2023. Uh this next year's team has too much talent to be held back by a nervous quarterback. Please tell me I'm wrong for my peace of mind. Nathan, I think this is it. Maryland also might be, but like, this is the last best yep. chance, I think, on Saturday against Indiana to get real Kyle McCord reps. And I just think whatever this texter is fearing is going to be the reality that Ohio State is going to go into the 2023 season with a starting quarterback who has not really seen or done all that much because I just think we're kind of past the point point of no return here.
2: I think you're probably right there. There may be an, a slight opportunity for it this week, but I also could see because of the way last week went and whether they gives any consideration to statistical things for Stroud and the Heisman campaign or whatever. I don't know if he's gonna have to play in the fourth quarter, but I could see him playing pretty well into the third and in days philosophy on how to handle that is on the record now. Yeah.
3: Is it, a, but is it a big deal, Steven? Like, is this a missed opportunity or is it, guess what? Bowl practice, spring practice, seven on sevens in the summer, preseason, whoever the starter is in 2023 will be ready.
1: Yeah. I think we've over played and oversold how big of a deal, Kyle McCord not passing the ball is I think we've gone too far left with it and here is why in two seasons here with a start under his belt 39 of 56 for 581 yards and three touchdowns and two interceptions so there's another quarterback who started at Ohio State who before he was a starter here 40 of 57 for 565 yards and four touchdowns and one interceptions so, oh, my Lord, he hadn't done anything for two years. And then he, who, he, who, is he it, who is it? Touchdown passes, and his name is Dwayne Haskins.
3: Yeah, but that's not in comparison. Dwayne
1: I came into
3: the Michigan game. Dwayne was in real again. McCord has started,
1: get, Tom started, McCord has started in football. It's a Stop. start. It's it's more starts than Dwayne Haskins had. Stop. Dwayne and, played okay, the Dwayne, Dwayne some real snaps, a, man. Dwayne but but played the point of the matter snaps. is both of, those, both of those guys got extra reps that they maybe shouldn't have had, and they only got it because the guy in front of them was hurt. The point is, this is not a new concept of third-year starting quarterback who was coming in as a top 100 recruit, not even borderline five-star. Kyle McCord was a five-star recruit, and he's going to have a veteran group of receivers and a pass-calling play caller. Because that's what Dwayne had. He had a veteran group of receivers. He's a top 100 recruit, and he could throw the ball. Kyle McCord is a five-star recruit who can throw the ball, and he's going to have Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, and Emeka Ibuka. So, I, think okay. they're
3: I don't think Dwayne is a good comparison. I, I, I mean, the stats are very interesting. The stats are very interesting and practically exactly the same. So um, basically Kyle what you're saying is not that- Kyle has not played anything – I mean, like – And the Akron thing is so long ago at this point. And also, like, he didn't look that great. Like, it was like, oh, he started against Akron. It was like, oh, this is too early for him. He's not – yeah, no, I know. And now that he's, like, in his second year, like, he hasn't done anything this whole year. So – and Dwayne Day is the guy who made a –
1: And that's fine, but Dwayne literally only did something because of circumstance. So, and and if that – if JT doesn't get hurt – Kyle actually has a lot more experience than Dwayne Haskins would have had coming in in 2018. That's true, I mean, and I feel like we, you can't plan on your starter getting hurt. No, you can't. And we had this you conversation That's earlier true.
2: this year, Doug, and I think you were the one to point it out. When you go around the country, backup quarterbacks don't play that much, unless something's but really wrong. But they do. I they they do, and
3: the numbers show that. But I do think I mean there the numbers do show that for sure. But I also do think there are a couple guys who got a little more action that mattered.
1: Um, what what he's and, what with Kyle. Yeah, I, I do agree with the Kyle is playing, but what he's necessarily doing with that playing time isn't measuring up to what yeah. other backup quarterbacks are doing. with it. I do agree with that. I just think when it all boils down, I think we have gone too far left with the oh no, Kyle's not going to have any experience next year when quite frankly, just like with CJ in 2021, the, the pressure is not going to be on him. It's going to be on the receivers to perform early in the season and the receivers have performed for years now, and that we don't need to necessarily be worried no, but, about but, that. But C.J.
3: Stroud, who had never thrown a pass before at the beginning of his college career with no experience, did not play a very good first half against Minnesota. Got it together in the second half against Minnesota, no. and then threw also an interception in week healthy. two against, and then threw an interception in week two against Oregon that sealed the loss in that game. Not his fault because he was new. But I don't think we've all said, "Hey, later on, he doesn't throw that pick." So if he no. had, had more experience, well,
2: maybe he would have been in a better situation at the end of the also, game. But also,
1: also not fully healthy. So there's.
2: Well and also the like caveat Concord, that as well. Concord's gonna be quarterbacking what might still next year be a better overall team than what CJ Stroud was to start of last year. You consider how good this defense could be next year.
1: Like, that's yeah, where they lost
2: the
1: ball game. A lot more help around him.
3: Okay, then uh, nobody, nobody can say it. Nobody can say about Kyle McCord's inexperience because they didn't get him any more snaps when they had opportunity. I, I, so it's just the way it works. Like, but, it's the way it works. But, it's fine. but
2: which, like, backup if, if if getting a start against Akron is not significant assistance
1: for a true freshman, as you're
2: saying, then I don't think getting a series in the first half against Indiana is going to be a difference maker either.
1: Okay.
3: All right. Run game questions. We're going to figure we're going to end with this part of it. Sort of who's to blame for the lack of running game in the past three games. That's Ben from the 757. I I do feel like we've we've covered that um, pretty well with again. Ryan Day repeating again this week, which is what he said last week, which is like it's it's everything a little bit, which is not as easy as. Uh, the offensive line, or all uh, the running backs, or all just the play calling—I do think it—it's uh, all contributing to that. But I—I want to get—I wanted to use that point from Ben because I read the whole thing, and we just can't get into that totally. But this point I think is a little more specific from the four-one-nine. How is it that they, this offense looks so unstoppable against Wisconsin and Toledo, but they've lost it now? What are the biggest contributing factors? And in tandem with that, uh, we have. From the five one three, Why does it seem like we're getting worse As the year goes on Other teams like Georgia are fine-tuning their Death Star But here we are continually uh, Messing up in the run game With horrible offensive line play I'm tired of screaming at my TV So I did this on the rant And I buy into this I've been buying into this a little bit more The Wisconsin game From a run game perspective at least Travion 21 for 121 Mayan 11 for 101 That's 32 combined carries, both backs with a healthy load, 222 yards combined. The last five games, Rutgers, Trevion didn't play. Michigan State, Mayan didn't play. Iowa, they both played, but they played what I think in the end is a very good defense that did a good job stopping the run. Penn State, Mayan got hurt early and had two carries. Northwestern, Trevion didn't play. So since like the peak, Nathan, of that run game, Two guys together in concert against a Wisconsin defense that at least statistically was highly rated. That was the best version of that. The last five games, they've only had one game where they both played, and it was against an Iowa defense that was ready for them and sold out to stop the run. So I do think those running backs not getting in rhythm, and I do think maybe in the end I have come around on the idea that neither of them is really a number one running back. And they're both complementary backs. And the more you put... Now listen, Mayan went nuts against Rutgers, 21 for 189. So that, that was a great performance by him. I do think they are potentially... Substan- and I've come around on Travion, right? Like I thought early on, I was like, Travion, Travion, Travion. I think, Nathan, I do believe they are substantially better when they're both healthy and playing. And that's the best version of the run game. And they haven't really had that that much since Wisconsin. And I think that's part of this.
2: I think that's part of it. I think that even when one of them is playing, as you said, it's no rhyme or reason. It's like one of them misses and the other one plays and one of them, then the next game, the other one misses. So they're both not only missing games with injury, but playing through injury. So I don't think we should discount that as being a potential factor on some of these things. And, but to me, the overriding thing is Iowa, very good defense, like very, very good defense. Penn State, also a pretty good defense. I know that people want to compare the fact Ohio State didn't run the ball that well against them to what Michigan did, running all over Penn State, and that's fair to a point. But I just think it might have been a better matchup for Penn State than it is for Ohio State in a game that Ohio State still wins. And then the, the Northwestern game, like, I don't know. Like, you really – I don't know. I think there are problems with – that happened in the run game in that game, but I don't – know that you can call it an indictment of the run game because of how that game played out so i understand what this texture is getting at but i don't know if it's i don't know if it's fair to say that the run game is getting worse i think i would stop short of saying that but i think the run game has encountered more resistance in the last few weeks than it was encountering early this season and hasn't dominated that resistance the way people were expecting or even just beaten that resistance the way people were expecting but i think the last person in the world that needs to be told that are the guys on this offensive line and in the backfield and running this run game i think they all feel it you know luke Whipler, after uh, practice last night said something along the lines of like well the sky is not falling even though everyone thinks it is so like they hear the messaging out there that there's that that something is uh, problematic But I think they also will are also he was also admitting, like, you can look at every play and see something that went wrong. And it isn't always the same thing going wrong, but something was going wrong a lot on Saturday and how they block things up. And that's a problem. Ryan Day talked about that today, that that's almost like the biggest indictment is that, like, it's not one thing that we can that we can just focus on fixing that. A lot of different things are going wrong. And that was that's the a, a, the biggest indictment of the, their execution in that game. It's something they have to fix.
1: Whipple was also talking about the fact that they spent. Extra periods this week right. on short yardage situations because that's been a struggle the last couple of weeks here. So we'll see if that shows up again on Saturday. If that extra time, if you only maybe spend one or two periods, they maybe spend three or four periods this time around. Let's we'll see if that. I don't. I mean, Indiana stinks, but let's see if that starts to show improvement this week.
2: Yeah, I don't think people at least are, are as worried about the yards per carry as they are about coming up short on third and one and then a fourth and one right after it. And then another third and one, like yeah. that's the stuff that I think gets under people's skin a little bit.
3: Yeah. And as always be motivated by the lack of execution, not people pointing out the lack of execution. So it's I always one that, of those things like, yes, hey, we understand the players. Also, No one ever suggests the players don't care that they're not executing, but the whole thing of like, well, they're put, they hear the noise or whatever. It's like, yeah, because people are talking about the thing that you did not do well. Mm-hmm. So if you did it well, people wouldn't be saying, that you didn't do it well. So then just focus on the doing it well. I'm not calling out Luke Whipler, but like sometimes like they can get, I mean, for a place that is the expectations are very high and it can be very difficult. And I talked about like sort of the the toxic world of college football, but you know, this is a team that's trying to win a national championship and just like focus on the things that you're not doing well. It's all good, but like, yeah, we're going to talk about it. So like, it's okay. It's okay that we're going to all, we're all talking about it because you got stopped on third and one and fourth and one, and you need to make those, Make those yards, which your coach says. So I do think people, again, we just are advising people to be careful for the 937. I think when Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson are back and both healthy, they will be as good as Michigan's do it running back. And my answer to that would be no. Like, please have the right context here. If Ohio State had Blake Corum, this was the thing earlier in the year. People were like, oh, I'm almost glad they didn't get Bijan Robinson. And it was like, what are you talking about? If they had Bijan Robinson or Blake Quorum or like an absolute killer at running back right now, I think they'd be like a 10 to 1 favorite to win the national championship. Like, I don't know. No, I mean a 1 to 10. Like, they would be so odds on. This is the one thing. And, and they're probably fine. They're probably fine. And their backs are good, I think. But let's not pretend. Let's not be disrespectful. If somebody on a Michigan podcast was like, hey, I think as soon as Roman Wilson and Ronnie Bell are healthy, they'll be as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka I hope people would be like, nope. That is an incorrect statement. Please have correct context. Michigan is better at this. Ohio State can still be good. I think they're pretty average at it right now. They can still certainly be much better. But please. Don't underestimate the Michigan running game. Okay. Anything else? I have one more thing before the picks. Nathan, anything else that was said by players or coaches on Wednesday or Thursday that we have not covered that needs to be discussed?
2: Ryan Day did confirm in a way that he hadn't before that Mayan Williams' hand was a issue in some of the plays that they called against Northwestern. But more to the point on that, he said that you know, Dallin Hayden and Chip Traynham were both healthy enough or, or, or had practiced well enough and were ready to play against Northwestern, just game conditions, they decided to lean on Williams. He wants to play more from depth this week. I don't know if we should read into that at all as to what Trevor Henderson's status is for hmm. Saturday. Uh, but as I always get the text, 614 350 That thing goes out at 9 a.m. on the dot Saturday morning when we uh, really get, get the status report. Steven, anything else from you that we didn't cover?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's – Nathan pretty much hit it on the bell. We, we were having a conversation over on the side with C.J. Stroud. I won't share all of it because some of it is not for consumption. But he did <laughs> – we were discussing his stat line from Saturday, and he said uh, he said in short term, I don't look at everything on social media, but I did see somebody had a thing where they were comparing me to was quarterback, and he did not <laughs> like that at all. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> that's funny. He's a Brian you <laughs> got Twitter account.
3: <laughs> yeah. that. 76 yards passing uh so we talked about this on the thursday pod where we had the fan satisfaction rankings and i said we would ask our ohio state tech subscribers part of that question which is in a hundred percent piece of the pie your passion your interest what you care about ohio state sports how would you divide up that hundred percent between football and men's basketball. Now, unfortunately, with the polling system that we use, the rankings that we have, I could not give you a 1 to 100 or even a 1 to 25 or a 1 to 20. I just had to give people a 1 to 10. So that's what we're dealing with. But then you get an average, Stephen. We had roughly said, right, I think ours was 90-10 football for Ohio State. I also will say this. I think this is a football-heavy cohort because this is a football heavy podcast. We are Mm -hmm. not talking about basketball that much. If you love basketball first, we're probably not your outlet, right? So I think we're, it's skewed already, but I also think we're to some degree representative of like, I love Ohio state sports and football's first, of course, but I love everything about Ohio state because I went there or I grew up with the Buckeyes or I just love Ohio state. So, we're admitting it's skewed, but I don't think it's so skewed that it doesn't mean anything. Stephen, what do you think the guess is? What is the percent from our poll? If, if we said roughly 90% football, 10% basketball, what are the results of the poll telling us? What's your guess?
2: 88 to 12. Nathan, what's your guess? I was thinking more like 93 to 7.
3: Yes, Steven wins. 88 is right on. Hey. Eight point eight point seven five on a 1 to 10 rating scale. So 87.5%. I will say the breakdown, again, you couldn't do 9.5. You couldn't do 97% or 91%. You only could do 7, 8, 9, 10, that kind of thing. 37% of the people picked 9. 28% of the people picked 10. This is all for towards football. 22% of the people picked 8. So overall, 87% of the respondents picked eight, nine, or 10. So I think we're in the right range. When we come back, our picks for Ohio State, Indiana on Buckeye Talk.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild.
3: Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means back. Ohio State football, a 39.5 point favorite over Indiana at noon on Saturday in Ohio Stadium. I think we have learned our lesson on this when it comes to the weather report. So I did look that up. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, according to weather.com, cloudy skies, a shower of rain or wet snow possible. High 41, winds from the west at 10 to 15 miles per hour. So that's not totally clear, Nathan. That's not 40, and that's not a blizzard, but I don't know. That's a little something. Nathan Baird, 39.5 for Ohio State. The over-under is 58.5. What's your pick?
2: You're right. It's not completely clear, but it's also, I don't think, conditions that change the nature of the game i'm gonna say 52 to 6 ohio state that would be covering the 39 and a half but coming in under the 58 and a half and to me it's just the fact that i think this iu offense is about as bad as it gets statistically it's the worst in the big 10 and uh they're gonna play up tempo, it sounds like. That's what they've played all year. Ryan Day saying he expects the same thing on Saturday. I do not think that is how you beat Ohio State is by taking a bad team and having it play as fast as a bad offense and having it play as fast as possible and give the ball back to Ohio State as much as possible. And I think this is also a week where you get things were rough at Northwestern. The Penn State win, as good as that was, people were kind of unsatisfied with. The Even the Iowa win, people were kind of like, what's going on with the run game? Like, I, I, I feel like this might be a week where Ohio State comes out and um, exercises some demons maybe a little bit. I think they have their blood up a yeah. little bit to put some stank on it.
3: What's your pick again? 52-6. to six.
2: So your total is 58, so you're a half
3: point under. All right, you'll be nail biting it with Kyle McCord in late in the game.
2: Nathan Barrett. It's never gone well for me. Don't score. Remember Jack Miller in Nebraska? Yes,
1: that's right. Uh,
3: Steven, what's
2: your pick?
1: Yeah, I'm 55 to 6, so I'm over, but for a lot of the same reasons, I don't understand why Indiana is trying to play up temple football at all. They should be trying to hold onto the ball for all 60 minutes and make sure that it's a seven to three game. But listen, this is why I'm not a head coach. I'm just a guy who covers head coaches. I think Ohio state needs a stomper game to let out some of these frustrations of the last couple of weeks. And Indiana just so happens to be the victim on the other side of the field who is terrible enough to allow Ohio state to do that.
3: Same range. I got 56-14, so I am fairly convincingly over. I think Ohio State could hit the over itself. I don't think a 60 spot is is out of the realm of possibility here. Uh, Remains the most shocking result in the Big Ten this year is Indiana beating Illinois in the opener on the first mm-hmm. Friday of the season. And everybody was like, oh, maybe Indiana is not terrible. And I was like, no, Indiana is terrible. It's a Illinois completely outplayed Indiana in that game and lost. Indiana started off three and zero, and they have lost every game since then. They're awful. I thought they'd be awful. And I was like, oh man, I picked Indiana to be awful and they beat Illinois. They're kind of going to be good. And it's like, no, they are awful. EPA per play. Again, it's like a contextual takes everything into account. Overall, overall in everything, Ohio State is first. Indiana is 113th. Ooh. Offense, Ohio State is first. Indiana is 112th. Defense, Ohio State is fourth. Indiana is 83rd. Indiana stinks on a cracker. I, they are awful. Thank God they're not playing Northwestern. I don't think they're playing Northwestern. Oh, I think no. Kevin Warren would have to cancel it if they were.
1: I so, think that would be so ugly that it would be beautiful to watch. It's like watching a car yeah, crash. Going, go, no
3: no zone defense <laughs> and so ugly. It's beautiful. We are getting a look into the mind of Stephen Means on this podcast. So I, we are all giving the 39 and a half. All giving the 39 and a half. Uh, Stephen and I are over. Nathan is under. Those were our picks for Ohio State against Indiana and we will be there on saturday right we'll do a post-game pod we guys will also we're ha- we have the the t-shoe betting pod is back this week t-shoe knocked out by the flu a week ago which just meant that i didn't have to publicly make any bad picks so that was refreshing for me it kind of took a load off but we are back so we have the double preview again this week in your uh buckeye talk feed read slash osu nathan i know you have a big story up there let's direct people toward that what you dropped
2: uh this indiana week? yeah i told our texters about it the other day but uh just a a profile of of justin fry and it was a a, the week we wanted to drop it was indiana week he played in indiana his father played in indiana was on the the holiday bowl championship team of like 1979 or whatever which was like the the first bowl championship in indiana history and like the only one that they went to in a long period and uh but his father passed away when justin was at IU going into his senior year and uh, just about the connection that they had and how they uh, how he followed him into coaching and how he like kind of carried forward some of the lessons that he learned from him.
3: Cleveland.com slash OSU. You can find that story there as with everything that Stephen and Nathan, write, 614-350-3315 for the tech subscription to make sure you are subscribed to Buckeye talk. We'll catch you guys on Saturday for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.